Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. If I just walk, if I just get up from where Meryl and I are sitting next to each other backstage, if I just get up and walk out the door and just don't turn back and just keep walking. Like, how mad is everyone going to be at me? Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Ready. Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I am tired after this past weekend. You have had a busy Olympic Fever Olympic Day weekend. I did. What, I, oh my uh... gosh. I saw it online. and went, oh, how did she do this all? So tell me about it. Okay, so we went away to celebrate my father's 80th birthday, and where we were staying had lots of things available to me. So they, I skated on artificial ice, okay. which is like a plastic, synthetic, very, it was very odd. And we played hockey while, okay. we, were, while we were at it, and I tried archery. Okay. I, I, I actually used a weapon, and I didn't hurt anybody. <laughs> And then we got out on the lake. My daughter really wanted to kayak. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get in the kayak because I can see both sides of the lake. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I fell into the lake, I could swim to okay. the side so okay. that I was comfortable. And uh, yeah, I did a little bit of the rock climbing wall. There is not a picture of that um, because I couldn't bring my my phone. Nobody could bring their phones <laughs> to the rock climbing wall. So yeah, I even tried a little. I didn't get very far. Okay. What did you yeah, think that, of it? That was hard. I loved archery. Yeah. And apparently I was quite good. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah. What did what did I, you like about archery? I, well, I was actually pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Within like six arrows, I was hitting the target. So oh, nice. I know. That's pretty good. And on the, the archery, I don't know what you call it. It's not a field, but there they put some fun things in there like they had a like a paper mache dinosaur and a oh, little that's apple cool. and yeah too. okay and i hit that dinosaur right in the femoral artery so wow. we're gonna eat, we're gonna eat for a month <laughs> so that was i i will not starve when the apocalypse 
there apocalypse you go. Now, comes. Now you know. You have skills. I got skills. But yeah, no, archery was a lot of fun. Skating on the plastic was was weird. That sounds weird. Did you have what kind of skates? Did, regular were they regu- skates. Regular? You have regular skates, but there's more friction. So you don't get glide. It's very huh. hard to get an edge in. Like I can't okay. imagine being able to do jumps or, you know, anything where you've got a picker edge. Right. So hockey, hockey was actually easier than skating. Okay. Cause you Cause were... hockey skates don't have much of the, you know, you're not really edging and picking. Right. Right. Even just like front crossovers were hard huh. on this. And the strangest thing was there's no cold coming up from the ice. Oh, so it's just normal temperature? Yes. And that would be weird. That was the oddest part. Did you bundle up out of habit? No. No. <laughs> we, I I just had on, you know, sweatpants and a t-shirt. My niece was in shorts. Wow. And yeah, my daughter was in a tank top. And I'm like, this is wrong. <laughs> This is all just wrong, but it was a lot of fun. That's good. Was good. I that's was very busy. That's good. We saw, I saw some other celebrations online. Book Club Claire also went kayaking. Excellent. So that was very cool. And I know that super fan Sarah had a big Olympic party, and she made the coolest thing, which this is I'm going to have to steal. She chopped up fruit of different colors that were the matched the Olympic rings and then put them on paper plates with like dip or something in, in the a middle. ring. Yes, yeah. that was so clever. So that we'll have I'm to like... see if she'll send us that picture so we can post it because that was really beautiful and mm-hmm. and clever healthy. and healthy and healthy. healthy. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, easy. like I'm always like you know I can easily think of five million junk food things to do with Olympic rings or Olympic colors. It's I don't know why I can never think of well, there you of go. something healthy. You can make so. Olympic ring fruit perfect for, you know, because the point of Olympic Day is the Olympic values and mm-hmm. getting out, getting active. Mm-hmm. Fruit with yogurt dip, much better than, you know, decorated cookies. Right. Or blue potato chips or blue tortilla <laughs> chips. <laughs> I also saw that listener Meredith went for a nice long walk, got healthy doing that. And then she got to see, she was along a, a river and got to see a rowing practice in action. Which was really, I think that's really cool because I like watching people practice and, and figuring out how they do what they do. So that, that to me sounded like a lovely, lovely day. Yes. I had to officiate again this weekend. It was my second tournament in a row and I did a lot of roller skating. Did not officiate any Olympians to, to my knowledge, but I'm pretty sure nobody was there. And uh, But I did sneak in a little reading for our book club because I will admit that I am not very far in the book. So if you were on the fence going, oh, I'm not really far into the book or I haven't picked up the book at all. That's it okay. Is, it is not too late to start. Um, You've got another, what, five weeks, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, do, we're not until August. Time. Yes, tons of time to read. And that's a quick reminder that if you prefer to listen to the audiobook, you can get a free download and a 30-day free trial at audible.com. Use that download for The Boys in the Boat, our book club selection, or any one of their 180,000-plus titles. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash fever to sign up for your free trial. And if you do sign up, uh, this will help support the ongoing costs of our show, which we would greatly appreciate it. And that is, once again, audibletrial.com slash fever. The book is really compelling so far, and and I I see what Book Club Claire is saying about the level of detail that 
Daniel James Brown goes into about the weather and the conditions and the feeling and what's going on in history during that time and yes. in that place. It's it's pretty incredible so far. Yeah. Yeah, so I was roller skating all weekend and but today we are going back to the ice and talking more about ice skating. And, oh my god! Oh my gosh! You should see fan uh, listeners. You should see the look that Allison is giving me. It is pure fangirl. I was so proud of myself <laughs> that I held it together for our whole conversation with Charlie White. I was proud of myself. We did get to talk to Charlie White, and Charlie White, with his partner Merrill Davis, is uh, an American ice dancer and. Together, they are the most accomplished ice dancing team in the United States. They've won five U.S. national titles, two world titles, two world silvers. They won the silver medal at the Vancouver 2010 Olympics and the gold medal and team bronze at Sochi 2014. So we were very fortunate to be able to spend some time with Charlie and talked with him about his ice dancing career and Olympic experiences. Take a listen. We'll start with just... Ice dancing, as in you originally were both an ice dancer and a single skater. Correct. When you first started and you played hockey. So you did yes. all like a good Michigan kid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what drew you to focus solely on ice dancing? So I started ice dancing um, actually when I was, I think, uh, eight, eight years old. And um, in large part because my coach was concerned that I was figure skating like a hockey player. And I had started both figure skating and hockey at the age of five. And um, so it was a little bit of a of, a, of an issue where I, I had no posture, I had no grace. You know, a lot of the things that you sort of look for in figure skating um, weren't there because I just, I love the athleticism of hockey so much that that really bled over into how I approached uh, my figure skating. And so the, the basics of ice dance demand better posture and understanding of the music, um, an understanding of the pattern on the ice and, and a lot of the more sort of basic steps. And in freestyle, obviously, as you watch the Olympics, I mean, you can see the, the focus is on the jumps, the spins, you know, these big tricks that sort of garner all of the attention and garner a lot of the points in the sport. Mm -hmm. um, in ice dancing, there's, there's really no quad. You know, it's the basic skating, your ability to move intricately with your partner. Um, those are what separates the teams. So it has to be very precise and practiced. And so the, ice dancing was really just, I just got into it to help my freestyle career. And it ended up becoming my whole life. <laughs> now, Meryl Davis has been your only partner. Correct. Which is very unusual. Yes, yes. You know, I think... It's it's one of those things where there's there's just quite a bit of luck involved, you know, and, and I'll probably come back to that point a number of times. And it seems sort of an odd talking point for um, an Olympian or, or an Olympic champion, I think, sometimes to, to touch on that. But, you know, it's it's the truth. I think um, I was just very fortunate to have found a person and in, in, in partner in Merrill that was the right height that came from a family grounded in similar values so that growing up we sort of looked at the sport looked at um, the idea of a partnership the same way and you know because there's so many people who are doing things the right way and aren't able to maintain their partnerships from a young age but kind of through no fault of their own just they see things differently 
money can be an issue, distance can be an issue. And, and for us, we were so lucky that we didn't have to deal with any of those things. You know, one grows too tall. That's right. Other, right. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, there's just so many things. So you have to match up physically. When uh, speaking of height, how how tall was or how much was the height difference when you were little? And then what did it turn into when you hit your growth spurts? <laughs> you know, it, it it basically stayed the same all the way through. You know, both of us were, were quite small, um, you know, as, as kids. But we, we generally grew at the same rate. I think at the end, I probably was the, the height difference between the two of us was as greatest as it had, had ever been as we sort of entered our final heights. Um, although at this point, we might be shrinking a bit. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I think that was that was one thing that that consistency, you know, and when we first started in, in ice dancing, lifts weren't um, what they are now. Now lifts have become sort of a defining metric in programs, the way you're able to, to utilize the music, um, the difficulty, the acrobatic nature uh, of lifts and ice dancing can really make or break a program. Back in 1998, 1999, it was sort of more of an accoutrement of the program. The, the top senior dance teams, they didn't rely on lifts. It was just a fun little thing that they could do. But, you know, for us, having a, 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 you know, enough of a size differential growing up that when lifts sort of came into play more and more, we were able to capitalize on that in a way that some other teams weren't really able to. Well, so you, you touched on this. There was a big change in ice dance around going into the 2000s, that, that first 10 years. So the lovely Tanith Belbin and her partner, yes. Ben Augusto, who yes. is now your wife, yes. Tessa Virtue, Scott Moyer, and yourselves were sort of this North American revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'll sort of touch on on how lucky I was in my career. You know, I think for for decades leading up to Tanith and Ben's success at the 2006 Olympics, where they won the silver medal, which was the first American Olympic medal in ice dancing in 30 years, a lot of American ice dancing potential had sort of been squandered by the judging system itself in terms of what it held up as uh, the greatest in, in the world. And so, you know, I think North Americans tended to be a little bit more technically proficient, whereas the Europeans and specifically the Russians were much more dramatic. Um, not to say that they weren't technically proficient also, but that was sort of their calling card. And, you know, there was the judging scandal in, in figure skating, which led to the judging changes. And so what they wanted to do was was to be able to define, you know, points to the to the sport so that it wasn't just people holding up what could be random number generated numbers or, you know, picking favorites, um, which you know, as a fan of sport, which I am, obviously, uh, was huge. I, I thought it was absolutely a move in the right direction, adds so much more credibility to the sport, um, you know, especially in a, in a sport like ice dancing, where we're still fighting for credibility, I think. Um, but it's nice to be able to sort of fall back on, on numbers every now and then. And that shift from sort of a more expression, dramatic, dominated ice dance scene to a very specific and um, math-oriented technical ice dance uh, was, was, a huge, was a huge boon for the North American ice dancing scene. 
And Meryl and I just happened to, you know, that, that was number one. That was our strength anyways, even, you know, in the U.S. compared to other U.S. teams. Te from a technical standpoint, we were always very strong. I, you know, I was never much of like a, a storyteller or, you know, it was hard for me to get into the, the drama or to, you know, to look at Meryl and look like I loved, you know, was in love with her in the middle of a program. For me, I was really about like the lifts and the speed and the and the difficulty. And um, so it really played into my into my strengths when that was now what the judges were looking for as well. And so we came up at the right time. And again, I mean, we worked hard, we dedicated ourselves to the sport, but that was very fortunate. That was something that really worked out um, well for Merrill and myself. And that was a big thing for 2010 because you ended up with a silver medal. Uh, Virtue and Warrior ended up with the gold, both at your first Olympics. Yeah. Which had um, never happened before for an ice dance team. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I think, I think number one, we had coaches who were on the cutting edge of the sport and were pushing the direction of um, program content, what the judges were looking for, and were able to play us sort of not off of one another. I think that that has sort of a, a negative connotation to it, but to use having top teams that are up and coming that are really hungry for success in a training environment to, to get the best out of both of us uh, quickly, you know, because we were young. And, you know, Scott and Tessa, I think, are um, they're some of the most naturally gifted ice dancers uh, the world has ever seen. And, you know, I, I can't honestly say that that was the case with, with Marilyn and myself, but um, training with them every day, seeing how talented they were, made us work hard enough to sort of be able to to almost catch up to them by, by 2010. But, but what they had was the ability to tell a story alongside the, the technical elements. And our strength in 2010 was really our speed, our stamina, our ability to have a wow factor. And, and we, 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 you know, <laughs> took that all the way to a silver medal. We rode that as hard as we could. Um, but it wasn't until the, the following sort of cycle, uh, if you will, between Olympics that we matured into the team that was worthy, frankly, of, of winning an Olympic gold medal. Okay, so 2010, let's start there. You were 22? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and so Meryl would have been 20, was she 20 or 21? 23, okay. 23. I knew there was a what year, I didn't yeah. know which way yes, it went. Yes, I'm the young one. <laughs> so your first Olympics and your favorite to medal, your training partner's favorite to medal. In, yeah. In uh, Virtuin Moyer, and you're practically home because you're in Vancouver. Sure. I mean, there was a lot of American fans there. So yes. what was that performance experience like? You know, it was interesting. The, sort of the lead up to the Olympics was was really almost what defined our, our Olympic experience. And, and I say that because at our national championships, we had our first opportunity to compete against in, in, and with a chance to, to beat Tanth and Ben. And what we, what we needed to do there was to show that there had been a change of the guard, right? And, and that was a very hard thing to do because they had had such sustained success in, in you know, having in, had the silver medal in 2006, but having won a silver medal at the World Championships just the year prior um, to the 2010 games, we had the World Championships in Los Angeles. Tanith and Ben probably should have won the world championship. They got beat by their their Russian. 
Yeah, um, they got beat by their Russian um, uh, training mates. And so they had a lot of momentum. What we had to do sort of on the other side was show, hey, as, a, as this up-and-coming American team, we have the ability at our own national championships before we even get to the international event, show that, that we're, we're worthy of sort of being called the, the top American team. And so I almost feel like the pressure and, and narrative of our Olympics was defined by our ability to perform at well, very well, to the best of our ability at our U.S. national championships. And so winning that, beating Tanith and Ben, set us up beautifully for the Olympics. And, you know, when we were there, we hadn't won any world medals before. We had had success on the international stage, but, you know, the pressure... I would say wasn't quite there for us like it was for maybe say Tessa and Scott. You know they had they had already won two world medals. They had really sort of defined themselves as you know one of the top teams. Plus they were in their home country of Canada. So we kind of just went out there, you know, as as loosey goosey as you can be at your first Olympic Games. You know, which isn't to, which is to say not loosey goosey at all. But um, in 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 comparison to how we felt at the 2014 Games, I would call it loosey goosey, and we'll talk about that later. But we just we just went out there and wanted to prove ourselves, you know, and that was our mindset for the four years from 2006 to 2010, and it culminated in our ability to just go out there and sort of fearlessly um, attack our programs and. You know, our youth and, and again, our, our our lifts, our speed, those were the things that helped set us apart. And obviously, you know, I have to continue to give a lot of credit to our coaches. You know, we, we worked hard, but under the direction of some of the, the most impressive coaches and Marina Spielbond, uh, excuse me, Marina Zueva and Igor Spielbond. And so that they, they really, they helped take us to where we needed to go when we just kind of crossed the finish line. And then just the atmosphere in Vancouver, what what was that like? Yeah, it was incredible. And, you know, maybe maybe unlike you guys, I was I hadn't been a huge sort of Olympic fan. I liked the Olympics. I, I respected specifically, you know, what figure skaters were able to do there, knowing the pressure and, and the sport, um, you know, and I was always captivated, you know, in sort of as in your you know, in your draw to this podcast, I think you guys talk about the the pull of the Olympics. I think it's it's there for everyone. But in between, I you know, I wasn't really that concerned about the Olympics. And I have to say, I really, I got, I, I, I quote unquote, got it when I was there. And um, it was an incredible eye-opening experience to see the whole world gather in a way that it, it seems totally incapable of doing in, in any other context, um, you know, to recognize the, the, athletic abilities of, of the, the countries and, you know, to celebrate the idealistic nature of, of the Olympics. I think it's, it's incredible. And I was so, and it, it, you know, from where I come from, that is, that is the most important part of sport is what it brings to your life, not the medals. And so, you know, I, I just fell in love with it. And, um, you know, and, and I think that will continue to be, the, my, one of my greatest memories of, of any Olympic experience is just sort of seeing everyone together and feeling that, you know, the 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 philosophy Olymp of Olympism wasn't just talk, but it was lived out throughout, you know, the games and, and through the way that the athletes conducted themselves for the most part. You know, it's not everything is perfect. Not everyone is always perfect. But um, but really, I think when you look at people, 
you can you can judge fairly and Canada itself did a, a absolutely fantastic job of you know putting it together preparing the athletes to to just be able to do their best um, it was comfortable it was just I, I felt so fortunate because you know I know a lot of I had known a lot of Olympians and they had not always had the greatest things to say about you know the village or the skating rink or the quality of the ice and so there's always a question of you know is everything going to be what you need it to be when you're trying to do your best and um it, it absolutely was and i give so much credit to you know to vancouver the city uh to the people that were in the local organizing committees that just poured their heart and soul into um making us feel comfortable because it makes a world of difference now did you feel with the fans because obviously there was a canadian favorite yeah how was that? You know, how did that go? Yeah, I think <laughs> it, it honestly it went great. And every time that I was in Canada competing closely with Scott and Tessa, I never felt I never felt that the Canadians were, you know, trying to 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 not applaud my efforts uh, for fear of giving me too much encouragement. And I think just generally that's that's a quality that I can appreciate about Canada. Living in Michigan, we get to go there a lot. Um, the people are are very considerate to generalize in hopefully a positive way. And and also, having said that, I think that we we're far enough away from them points-wise the whole time <laughs> that there really was like, <laughs> there's also no yeah. threat. You know, just, just I, I have to be a little bit cynical. But no, I, I, I am always impressed with the hospitality and um, considerative nature of athletics, specifically when it comes to Canada. They do a great job with that. Very smart also since you have Canadian in-laws. Yes. No, definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this is just, this is just, um, these are just smart talking points for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, Sochi, on the other hand, we have heard not the same thing. So you went into Sochi, the favorites. Yeah. Very different scenario yes no, everything was yeah oh my yes no uh well stated everything was different in russia and you know starting off with you know we hadn't lost for two years leading into the 2014 olympics which just creates an almost unendurable amount of pressure <laughs> specifically you know from within obviously from the outside um, there's always a lot of pressure, but I think Meryl and I were were best at focusing only on how we viewed ourselves in the context of competition. But unfortunately, you know, when you when you do have a lot of success, you want to continue that. And it's hard to imagine sort of going from a silver medal in 2010, winning two world championships, not having lost for two years leading up to the Olympics, and then losing the Olympics, you know, and, and, um, so that, that was, that was hard. That was hard to deal with the whole season. Honestly, it just felt like a, a, the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And it was, it was for the first time in my life, I had trouble sleeping at night and, um, just the stress, just incredible, incredible stress, you know, and then there was, a, you know, of course it was, it was being held in Russia. There were security concerns, um, as there are at all, uh, Olympics, but um, it seemed to be getting maybe more media attention. Hard to say. So, so that was a concern. But having having said all that, there there were obviously a lot of positives. I think that we knew that despite the pressure, we had had so much 
great experience and obviously winning a lot, but, but losing, um, close, um, losing by a lot, <laughs> making huge mistakes in big competitions. Um, you know, a lot of, of very important failures, uh, along the way that allowed us to, to be in the position that we were in. And so despite your sort of nagging subconscious, you know, worries about what could happen, what could go wrong. We knew that ultimately, and especially compared to everyone else, we were ready. We were ready to, to take on the challenges. We had we had, had a competition in the arena um, the year prior in 2013. They had a test event at the, um, at the arena in Sochi, and the ice was great. The stadium was great. You know, everything was what we needed it to be. We just needed to go and do our job, <laughs> and um, you know it's 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 it can be easier said than done, and and I think one of the one of the draws to ice dance, perhaps um, for those of for those of the listeners or podcasters who are you know looking to get get more excited about ice dancing in the future, is that you can't make any mistakes really if you want to win the gold. Um, you, you can't because the the scoring is so close because there aren't those big jump elements sort of the big trick elements to separate you you have to be perfect especially at the olympics the judges are looking for every little mistake but that was something that really was gnawing at us marilyn myself (laughs) um you know at our ability to be our best every time we took the ice was knowing first of all how easy i don't know if you guys have ever skated but it's really easy to fall down (laughs) <laughs> when you're skate, I mean, <laughs> it's really, skating is really hard. And like, as a skater, you don't think about that until you're, you're, you know, faced with um, the consequences of making a, a stupid little mistake and having it potentially haunt you for the rest of your lives. And, you know, we, so there's this real battle of, you know, inside of ourselves. And it's so much more mental than physical because physically we're prepared. We've done our program millions of times and um, we, we've worked out, we've stretched, we go to sleep, we eat right. You know, everything is, is the way it should be. And so the battle is really a mental one, you know, and that's that's what's that's where you can show, you know, your true grit. And, you know, which is maybe not something that people would associate with ice dancing. But I really do think that it, it plays a huge part in your ability to um, just be consistent enough to, to get to the top. Um, you have to have grit. And and for us, that was that was our greatest strength. You know, we weren't the most natural ice dancers. Um, we didn't have the the most ideal body types for the sport, um, for dancing. We're, we're not the most fluid dancers. But what we had in spades, I think, was was grit and and determination. And you know, and I'm not gonna lie, like we were in first place going into our very last uh, event, the free dance, and we had to skate last in our warm up group. So like. There are 20 skate. Let's say there are 20 skaters. There would there be four groups of five. You go out five at a time to warm up, and then everyone gets off the ice, and then boom, 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 boom. One through five, they go, and then repeat with the next warm up group, so to speak. And um, they're seated so that the the top five placements going into the free dance are the last five to skate in the entire event. And it just so ha- and then you can go anywhere within your group, depending based on a draw. Um, Every time we took the ice in Sochi, we skated last in our warm-up group, which meant there was the maximal amount of time between when we stepped off the ice for our warm-up and when we stepped back on to compete, which means that you have the most amount of time to think about and worry about <laughs> what could go wrong uh, when you do step on the ice, which is just absolutely the worst. 
So, what, so yeah, what do you do? Ahead. What do you do during that time, and how do you? Not, <laughs> well, no, totally. Like men mentally, question. I want to say mentally disengaged because you kind of want to take yourself out of make paying attention to the other competitors enough to like get in your own. No, you don't no, want to yeah, get in no, your own you, head. You, you know, I think that's a that's a um, interesting point you raise, and I think something that a lot of people bring up in figure skating is, you know, how much do you pay attention to what the other skaters have done um, before you compete? And I'll tell you, in freestyle, in, in the singles disciplines for ladies, pairs, and even, or ladies, men, and even pairs, if the skaters ahead of you um, that have skated before you, that are your close competitors, if they've made mistakes, it can inform whether or not you want to bring down the difficulty of the of the elements that you do in your program if you want to play it safe, in which case you want to have an inkling of what the people ahead of you have done. In ice dancing, you are on a set of rails, and regardless of what the people before you have done or not done, uh, you need to go out there and do what you do to the best of your ability. And there, there is no sort of watering down of your program. Um, there is no way to make it easier. And you don't want to change your mindset. And, and in large part, when I, and I go back to the idea that you, you can't make any mistakes. So any variability in your approach, in your uh, emotion, that can hugely affect your ability to stay consistent with your placement, with the edges, um, all the little things that can lead to, to hiccup, that can cost you points. So we... What we do is we go as far backstage as possible. We we try not to hear the scores. We don't want to hear the music. Um, but it's the Olympics in Russia. There were two Russian teams in the warm-up. Um, and so they were going absolutely wild. Um, so we had an awareness that everyone was skating their best, which is fine. I mean, that's that's frankly what you want at the Olympics. If you want to win, you want to be people at their best. But there was a moment, you know, where, you know, everything is kind of converging in my brain. And, you know, it, it seemed eminently reasonable to think if I just walk if I just get up from where Meryl and I are sitting next to each other backstage if I just get up and walk out the door and just don't turn back and just keep walking like how mad is everyone going to be at me <laughs> you know like how upset is the world going to be if if this potential Olympic gold gold medalist just is like you know what I don't need this <laughs> I don't need to deal with this that is that's the that seemed very reasonable. That seemed like a very reasonable thing to do. So that's wow. the that's sort of my the mindset that we had. It was just it was so much pressure we had on ourselves, so much concern um, for a mistake, you know. But ultimately, you don't do that. <laughs> you you against against sort of what your brain might say is the smarter option. Uh, you you stand up and you you look at each other and you, you're, you're basically, we're too terrified to say anything. So we just go out there, we step on the ice. And as soon as you get on the ice, you start to feel a little bit more like everything isn't against you in the world. And, um, you know, as they call your name, it's sort of, it, again, it sort of surges back up to, to, you know, your throat and, and the, the insecurities are fighting for control. You know, and 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 I bring all this up because it's it's I, I can't even fully express the the the, the fear. And, but at the same time, you know, it's not like it's all, it's all consuming, right? Like we still have our bearings, we still have each other, which frankly is one of my favorite things about the sport is that it's the two of us, and we can we can use the strength of the other person to help offset our own insecurities. 
but you know, you go out there and you've practiced again a million times and it's to the point where the whole time you could be thinking like, gosh, I hope I don't screw up. Um, which is like just the last thing you want to be thinking when you're competing. Like that's the surest way to make a mistake, but it was almost like we could and still be fine. But you know, we went out there and we just, we just tried as hard as we could. And you know, I, and it's, it's the kind of thing that, um, if we had made a mistake, you know, and we gotten off the ice and recognized, you know, realized that we, we lost it. Of course there would have been tremendous heartache and disappointment, but, you know, in having the perspective now that I have, I think we we would have we would have been okay. It wouldn't have haunted us for the rest of our lives because we could have been, we can be honest with ourselves and with our friends and family and coaches and saying that we did everything that we could. And sports are hard, and figure skating is hard. And you know, sometimes you make mistakes, and that doesn't that doesn't define your self-worth. It doesn't define who you are um, in the eyes of the people who know you and love you. And ultimately, you know, that's what matters. Um, you know, I think we're we're so grateful to have had the opportunity to represent our country, to become the first ever Olympic ice dance champions for the USA. Those are all incredible feats, and they have changed our lives for the better. But in the process of winning, uh, I think that, you know, I was... I'm so lucky to have had this perspective to be on this side and see that, um, you know, people say winning isn't everything, right? And um, it's true. It really is true. And I, I don't think the idea of being a champion is defined by, you know, what color medal you wear around your neck or if you wear a medal at all. I think the the that what you take away from sports, the the relationships, the the ability to recognize your your own weaknesses and your approaches to things that are hard. Um, and being able to work on those things diligently, learning how to push yourself past your own expectations, uh, those are the greatest things. Those are the greatest things that being an Olympian brings into your life because it helps you change the world. It helps you change yourself. It helps you change um, your family and, and relationship dynamics. You know, and, and, and so that's why Olympism, you know, it, it sort of comes back around to the philosophy, you know, and, and why that's focused on. And, you know, the stories of personal triumph of, of, you know, going from the bottom to the top, those are, those are great stories because they're human interest stories. Um, they're not, they're not great stories because it, you know, necessarily ends with a happy ending or with a medal. It's because we like to see what makes people do what they do. And we like to see people triumph because we understand that life is hard. And so, you know, I think you have to have had the experience to be able to have the wisdom that accompanies it. And, and that's why people are terrified of walking away from the Olympics without a medal. But ultimately, what, you know, what you hope they'll be able to do is look back and say, the experience is the gift. You know, what I take away from learning about myself and others in the world um, is truly what makes all of this and the Olympics in general the greatest thing in the world. So the two programs in Sochi, from my eyes, were gorgeous. That My Fair Lady is probably one of my favorites of <laughs> yours of all time, I'll just say. But were you happy with how you skated? I mean, not just winning, but can you look at those and not say, ooh, my, you know, my edge is a little off there or <laughs> we messed that up? You know what's funny? Um I'm I'm satisfied with the way I'm I'm usually satisfied with the way that we compete. 
But I do think that one of the I don't want I don't know if affliction is the right word, <laughs> but you know of of a, of a top level athlete is is sort of never being content um, with with your with 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 seeing yourself perform. And um, you know I think that's true of, of when I watch myself at the Olympics. I'm always thinking of ways that it could have been it could be better. But realistically, in that moment, with the experience that we had, with the mindset that we had, I don't think it could have been better. And so, you know, in the context of that moment, it was as good as it could have been. Was it the greatest thing that, you know, I, I can't say that it's the, it's the best ice dance program that ever will be, you know, despite winning. the. In fact, it's been eclipsed, not just in score, but I think in approach and in, in, in composition and choreography since then, which is, I think, I think that's what you should want for your sport. I think you should want it to continue to grow. And so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm happy with what we did. I think it was great. If we, if Meryl and I had felt like we both desperately wanted to keep competing. I think that we could have done something better. Just frankly, we were both so satisfied with the effort um, and also exhausted <laughs> from the process that we, we didn't have another go in us. And, um, and, and yet at the same time, I think being able to, to look back and say, you know what, again, mistake or not, we gave 100% for our entire career. You can't ask for much more than that. Allison, do you have anything else? Well, I do, because we didn't talk about the Twizzle. Oh, uh, no. We yes. <laughs> uh, okay, we so Jill found it there. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to out Jill here. When we were watching Pyeongchang, Tanith always called it the dreaded Twizzle. Sure. In all of her announcing. And Jill was upset that why are you calling it the dreaded Twizzle when it's kind of the one basic move that everybody who competes does this? Right. So what's the deal with the twizzle? Right. So uh, the twizzle is, it's it's the hardest element to not make a mistake on in ice dancing. And the difficulty of it comes in the way that you rock back and forth on your blade as you're turning across the ice. Um, it's really easy when you're turning super fast. Okay, so a figure skating blade is not straight. Uh, it, it has a bit of a curve to it, right? So you can you can put your um, pressure on different parts of the blade. Um, while you're spinning across the ice, you, you cannot stay on one part of the blade as you're turning. So you have to rock back and forth a little bit between um, the toe and the heel. And it's just very hard not to go too far when you're twizzling really fast and when you're nervous and the excitement is high. And so what happens is you you, kept, you kept the, the back of your blade, the heel of it, is sharp obviously it, it points out like a knife um so if you catch that or if you catch the toe pick uh which is a pick uh <laughs> it, it it can cause you to stop uh slow down fall um all the things which will lead to uh, a, a a lower level of technical difficulty or if you fall obviously that's that's about as obvious as it gets for a mistake and um so most mistakes that keep people from sort of reaching their goals at any given competition are the twizzles. And I mean, part of it is the mindset, but also it's just, it's just a very difficult, I, I mean, I said we have no quads, I guess that would kind of qualify as our quad. And you have to do it in perfect unison. Oh, well, yes, also that. And, and I think, and, and, and so, 
Okay, so you, you, there's two or three. Usually you do two or three. So you do one the easy way, the way that it feels most comfortable, and then you do one the opposite way, and then sometimes you do another one the easy way. After the first twizzle, sometimes you'll come out at slightly different times, which mean, and you have an awareness, of course, of where your partner is, but you can't perfectly see them. So if going into the second twizzle, the other partner is a little bit ahead of you as you go into it, you can feel like you're, it, you have to hurry a little bit. And so if you rush the setup for the twizzle, that again is, is very likely to cause a mistake. Or if you feel like you have to wait too long, you don't get the requisite sort of snap to get the, um, to get your body rotating, then you'll just fall out of it. And, um, so the timing of it, and, and I think a thing that's kind of cool for me and Meryl, because we skated together for so long is we knew if we were in sync in our twizzles based actually on the sound of our blades were making across the ice. So we knew if, for instance, okay, so when, you're, when your blade is, is going across the ice, it doesn't make much of a sound. But as it's rotating around, it makes a gentle scraping sound. So it's like scrape and scrape and scrape and scrape, but like much faster than that. And we had just done it so many times that we, we started to realize that we were matching our speeds based on the sound of the blade, of whether the person was facing forward or facing you know, to the side. But yeah, that takes that takes a lot of practice. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. See? <laughs> when you're out of sync in a twizzle, how do you get back in? Or do you just have to wait for the twizzle to be over? And you, you it's actually the kind of thing where if if the twizzle gets too out of sync, you have to just accept that it's it. There's a good possibility you won't be able to get it back in sync because if you try too hard to get it back in sync that's where you'll make a mistake so it's almost it's almost better to just be like you know what this isn't going to be our best set of twizzles but like let's not make it worse you think you might have gotten me <laughs> yeah. now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna, i know what i'm gonna do this afternoon is watch my dancing and, and pay attention yes yes absolutely <laughs> Thank you so much, Charlie, for sitting down with us. We really appreciate the time you spent. He was so in incredible to talk to. I got to tell you, the fact that he exists in the world makes me happy. Yeah. You know, just, I mean, just... people like that. He was so genuine and kind and pleasant and generous. And I'm like, there must be something wrong with you. And there isn't. <laughs> and he was just a really, really wonderful person right, so right. i'm thrilled you know Fair. when you meet someone who's been so successful mm -hmm. and had so much success for over a long period of time mm -hmm. you expect them to not quite be so articulate and self-aware right and he is and relatable and yes and in this space where and i know it's been eight four years since they won their gold so maybe some time has helped and i'm not saying that he was different an arrogant ass yeah before. i know it just sounded horrible um but like having the 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 benefit of time and reflecting and he was like there was so much positivity and like coaching and thought behind okay this is why we do this or this is why this happened and the 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 unbelievable amount of pressure that they must have been in at the time i i just can't imagine going through that or what it now, was he, and how to cope. I know. He said something how the uh, an American hadn't won an ice dance uh, medal in 30 years. He didn't phrase it quite correctly. They'd never won a medal. Ice dancing had only been in the Olympics for 30 years. Right. You know, so or uh, almost, it was 1976. But 
they had never won a gold medal. Right. So, so to have that achievement is huge. I'm so glad he has a baby. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, because I'm like, oh my god, there's more Charlie, <laughs> and that there's more and Charlie you know, and, in the world. And it's nice because you you know that that kid has decent parents, and oh. he's going to have such a good life. I know that makes me so happy. He was great. I I he could not have been better. Nice. I have yes. to I have to say. So thank you, Charlie. You can follow Charlie on at Charlie A. White on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, you can follow at facebook.com slash Meryl and Charlie. And you can also get updates at their website, Meryl Davis and CharlieWhite.com. And they keep that updated quite regularly, which I, I find it's fascinating to me. You know, they're still working together, even though they're not competing together. Yes. Well, Which, that's typical of ice skaters, you know, because mm-hmm, they do they have that opportunity. the show skating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's a nice, you know, he talked about it as a 12-step program, but that is, number one, a nice way to make a good amount of money. Right. And two, you ease out of the sport. It's not like, boom, Olympics is over. Mm-hmm. You're done. Right. Figure out what to do now. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> good luck. Don't get me upset. I'm so happy. <laughs> You're killing my mojo here. Charlie made me so happy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get it back. Let's get it back. Okay. What do we got? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Did did that help? from eight in the morning until midnight so we're, we're talking about not much sleep i'm so tired well i think you should get some rest then all right well i guess on that oh, note, we'll yeah. call it a day on uh, next week's show we will have jacqueline simono from team canada and she will talk about the ins and outs of synchronized swimming and also talks about some of the things I know we all really want to know about. So, And in the meantime, I think I'm going to go shoot some dinosaurs. All right. That sounds good to me. Score 10. We will survive the apocalypse. Sounds good. With, with my archery <laughs> skills. You never know. I, I know that the next thing you look around and, and you'll be you'll be up there with one of those cute little hats that like the South Korean women always wear. Oh, and you'll yeah. be shooting away at a target outside. I'm Ooh. I'm going. I'm ready. I'll have a little eye. Oh, I can get. Oh, I could get the little arm guard thing. You have to get oh, the little. Yeah, the, you have to have that because it hurts if you if you hit your yeah. arm. Oh, I like those kind of things. All right, we'll get you geared up. Let's go. All right, and on that note, we will. See you here next week. Thank you so much for listening, and let's keep that flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. 
You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at OlimFever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. You're killing my mojo sorry. here. Charlie made sorry. me so I'm happy. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.